Hey everyone, this is Dave Cruz from Flyber Labs, a podcast on business and innovation in the Midwest and beyond. Here you'll meet fascinating people and learn about new technologies and practices that will change how you look at life and business. Enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Flyover Labs. And today we are lucky enough to have Andy Weissman with us. And as some of you may know, Andy is a partner in a Union Square Ventures, which is one of the most well-known VC firms in the world. They have, they've invested in Twitter, Stripe, Etsy, and Tumblr, and a ton of other <laughs> great companies. So, and Andy has a wonderful investment background going back to at least 1999. And he, he founded Betaworks in 2007, where they invested in Tumblr and Kickstarter and lots and lots of other companies. So he has seen a lot in his days. And uh, he currently sits on a number of interesting boards, like Figure One, Science Exchange, Circle Up, and Numeri. So I wanted to bring Andy on the show to learn more about his thought process and what he's excited about. So Andy, thanks for coming on the show today. Sure. Thank you, Dave. I hope you're having a good day. <laughs> Definitely. I hope you're having a good day out in New York. Yeah, pretty good. Good, good. Uh, so, you know, before we talk about, um, you know, some of your investments and what you're working on now, can you just kind of give us an overview or uh, on your background and how you got into the, the world of uh, investing? Sure. Uh, and, and it's, you know, it's kind of an interesting question for me because it was completely random, not planned whatsoever. Uh, in other words, it was a bit, of a, a bit of a random walk, and I kind of bounced from thing to thing based on a peculiar set of circumstances in each case, and it kind of led me here, and I, and I guess it's worked out okay, but it wasn't with forethought. I was, uh, I was in Washington, D.C., and, and I was in the communications industry, radio and TV, and I was with a firm that represented radio station owners and television owners, and at the time of deregulation, a lot of transactional work was pretty fun, and, and I randomly got introduced to someone who, and through a series of conversations, went to an interview at AOL, and uh, and then ended up joining AOL and uh, and I, I wasn't really you know, this is early, this is mid 90s and so this is like really early in the internet and I and I can't say that I was like you know a hardcore technologist or whatever I had I had been a participant in bulletin board systems for a long time particularly music ones around New York and Washington and but there's something about when I went to the interview at AOL that I was like this would be a cool place to work so and that was pretty much a thought process and so then that got me into like the technology you know the technology industry the core you know, the technology internet industry. Um, and, you know, and through a random series of events a bunch of years later, I went and started a venture firm back in New York with someone that uh, that had more of a banking background, a couple of people had a banking background and needed someone that they thought you know, had a little more internet experience. And I was like, well, that's cool. And I'm from New York and that got me back to New York. And so that was a little bit random. And then we connected a bunch of years later with the person who then became uh, my partner, John, at Betaworks into a series of conversations, we decided to start this well, you know, wacky idea of a company that both built built products and invested in products. And so all of a sudden, I found myself as a founder of a company. Um, and I think by that, you know, only only realized I was a founder of a company after we had decided to start the company. <laughs> but it seemed like a good idea at the time. And then we worked really closely with a lot of venture firms, Union Square Ventures in particular. They were friends of ours, co-investors of ours, business partners of ours. In some ways, I guess mentors of ours. And and a bunch of years after that, you know, it led it led me, uh, it led me here to Union Square Ventures. And so none of it was kind of, you know, none of it was planned. It was more like you know random connections that led to interesting things that I thought would be interesting to do with without much thought, you know, without much thought other than I guess being open to interesting and 
different paths and hoping I would get lucky with one or some of them. And the, and the USV one was particularly interesting because at, when we started Betaworks and we were raising money for Betaworks, being in New York, we wanted USV to be, we wanted USV to be one of the investors. They were kind of like what we thought of as the smartest and the more in, most interesting investors. So we had pitched them, you know, once or a couple times. I forget how many, but I know that I, I can remember multiple meetings and we could never convince them to invest in, in our company, though it ultimately it led me here many, many years later. And so there's some, there's some, I don't know what the lesson is, right? But there's some, <laughs> there's some connective tissue lesson, but, uh, but I've always kind of been open to like interesting things and, and, you know, the random walk, if you will, has led, you know, led me to what I'm doing now and it's fun and it's interesting. And so, so that's kind of a long winded story, but there's randomness involved in it. And I, and I, and I, I am cognizant of the randomness that's involved in it. <laughs> so <laughs> more ran, more randomness than anything else, you know, like follow, you know, follow your dream, do what you love. I wasn't really, you know, like when you're a kid, it's not really that much thought. You're like, this seems kind of cool. I'll do this. Oh, well, you know, they wore t-shirts and shorts to work. I was like, that's a good place. <laughs> you know? And so it's, it was those kind of random series of events that kind of, you know, so I had no dreamer, dreamer aspiration to be an investor, just a evolved you know a, a series of career choices evolved to to this one and uh has worked out okay so i mean you sound like a kind of a, a curious guy i mean do you think that's kind of how you went from one thing to the next because you're like oh that's interesting let's learn more about that or i you know so this is a, this is a really good question because i because i think that i i in hindsight it, it is clear to me that those were some of my driving factors in in what i did but I don't know if at the moment or like growing up, I ever thought of myself as curious. I don't know if I would have described myself as such, but clearly that's one of the litmus tests in thinking about where I'm going to spend my time professionally has been, oh, this seems kind of interesting, right? So it's a bit of a, so it's, you know, and I, it's a bit of a paradox, that question, because I wouldn't historically have described myself that way, though that seems to be one of like the indicators of do I want to do something? Is it interesting? Right. And so, so a bit of, so I guess the answer is yes, but I, again, it's really, I think it's more randomness than anything. You know? That makes sense. Well, yeah. I, I, I like your philosophy because sometimes it's, it's hard to, uh, if you have certain goals and striving, like, you know, sometimes then you don't, uh, you put your blinders on, right. And you, you, you miss other opportunities yeah. that are interesting. So. Yeah. I, I like, that's like, if there's anything there, if there's one, yeah, common idea that I've always been really intrigued by, right, is this, you know, is the idea of serendipity and how do you maximize your chances of something serendipitous happening to you by definition, not knowing what the outcome is, but you know that there are, you know, out of all those serendipitous encounters, then your odds are greater than something interesting would come from them. And so I've always been really interested in that. And um, and um, so that so if anything, maybe that's kind of like a guiding theme, you know, like oh, if you know, you know, if you if you plug plug away enough, some weird random things are going to happen, serendipitous things, and maybe some of them might be interesting too, you know, you know, maybe that's it, you know, maybe that's the kind of Maybe that's as guiding, you know, as guiding a principle as anything. But I've always been up to that, uh, like the idea of randomness or serendipity has always been interesting. And read like read like books about it and stuff. So. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's a healthy way to live. 
<laughs> instead of trying to it's force one them. way to live it's, it's one, one way right. Right. it's one way <laughs> you know it all you know i don't and we could like i'm sure you could like go back into like you know one's upbringing and unpack it and figure out why so i don't know <laughs> if it's like the old like i believe there's also only one way of anything you know or one way of doing something you know, it's the one thing that may be, you know, the one way of, of operating that may be right for the business, right? Or the one way of doing things that may be right for for us as a venture firm or the one way that kind of keeps you happy as an individual. But I don't think it's, you know, there isn't, you know, it's not, there's no set rule. It's a kind of very individualistic, if you will. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. And so, yeah. so, so when did you start investing? Like when was your first investment? What- well, when I came back, you know, I would say, I mean, like, Part of I was doing a couple things at AOL where we were making investments okay. or, or kind of joint venture stuff like that. Although I don't I think I ever thought of myself as an investor when I moved back to New York and started a venture firm. That was kind of like in the late nineties was the was the first investment. Um, it, although I think it took me I I I think it took me a while to where like you know like I said I'm an investor you know like to where I self identified as that and maybe it's because investing is a bit of an amorphous type of thing where you're participating in other people's ventures, but not your own venture. And so it took me, you know, so I did was doing it like late nineties, early two thousands here in New York, but it took me a while, I think before I owned up to that as, <laughs> as a, as a, you know, as a moniker, right. Or as a, as a profession that I was doing. Did, did you have a, a did you raise a small fund back in the late nineties? Yeah, we did. We did. We did a couple. Yeah, we did a couple of small funds and then a big fund. Okay. Um, and, and we, um, and we, and we, you know, we lived through, you know, like the nineties, 2000 rise and crash that I was with as part of that, uh, dealt with that at least. Um, and then that was all right before Betaworks, you know, and so Betaworks did both things. I thought of myself as both, we thought of ourselves as both operators and investors. In fact, we were designed, we were designed for that. So maybe around that time that I finally, it felt like I was an investor because I had a little more structure, a little more thesis, or a little experience where I thought, like, okay, this is maybe I'm maybe this is what I'm going to be doing. So, um, so with uh, with BetaWorks, you know, you talked about the operational and investing. So, can you kind of explain what uh, you mean by that? Will you uh, help the companies operate as well, or? Yeah, well, we we had we had I would say there were two notions um, that we had at BetaWorks. One was um, one was structural and one was um, topical, I guess. In other words, we we saw, you know, we we had been around the internet from the period of, you know, AOL running a proprietary, you know, network to like the open web to the beginnings of the social web, and we and we and we had spent a lot of time thinking about what the implications of that were, and we had a notion that um, that either at the social web and the attributes of the social web were going to kind of consume subsume all previous methods and types of media and distribution of media. And so we wanted to go all in on that. So that was like an investment thesis, if you will. And a lot of that was struck, you know, around the design of the internet and why social networks could be efficient, connecting one person to another person, et cetera. And then we had the idea that we had wanted to build a company around that thesis, but we wanted to be able to do two things with that company. One was build our own ideas, start our own companies, and then invest in other people's companies. And so we call so we called it a studio because the studio was the closest analogy that we could think of, like a movie studio. Like you make your own, you know, you make your own movie productions, um, and then you and you finance other people's production. 
And so it was one entity, but we did two different things, but they all were in the same topic area. And so the theory was that both sides of that coin, both activities made would support each other or make the other type of activity better at what it did. Um, because we were good at both sides. And so we would come up with ideas and build businesses around them and spin those businesses out. And some of them worked, some of them didn't. And then we did a whole lot of early stage seed and venture investing as well at the same time. Interesting. That sounds like fun. And, and so this is back in 07. You must have been one of the first ones to call it a studio. I don't know. Now it's pretty popular, but you, yeah, you, well, you it was like, have, maybe you guys coined that. It was, <laughs> yeah, you know what we like. We're very. We spent a lot of time thinking about words and language, and that was. But that was like the best. Of, that was the metaphor that made the most sense to us. Like, what is this? This is a studio. That's the activities that are going on in here, and so that's the one. Uh, that's the one that we. Uh, that's the one that we use. What what what's one company that you uh st- you came up with the idea started and then and then did okay. So, uh, I mean, there are, you know, like Bitly, you know, and Chartbeat were two wow. while I was there. There have been a bunch since then, cool. but while I was there at the core of it, it was, uh, those were, those wow. are probably the two most, the two, you know, maybe the largest ones are the ones with the biggest footprint. And, and why did you, uh, want to go straight to investing instead of a, kind of more of the studio approach? Well, I think over time, you know, there, these were two separate activities and I was the, uh, um, you know, aside from being the founder, was the chief operating officer and probably was a little more primarily responsible for uh, for the venture side. And John okay. was running the company and more more on the studio side. And, and I think probably a desire to more fully explore the investment side with through, through a more traditional fund versus a uh, versus kind of a hybrid entity, okay. if you will. Yeah, and so that led me that led me to USD. Gotcha. Okay, and and so you know, it's not like with investing, you kind of. Uh just uh it just kind of happened you know over time we kind of walked into some opportunities and and but what what yeah. what kept you there or like why you were like oh this is this is great you know what was uh what kind about of... about about investing you yeah. mean yeah yeah what what cuz i think cause i think i think running a company is much harder and so and so who would want to you know leave that to people that want to do that no but i think that's i think there's there, this is, I don't really know the answer to the question. I do think like being, you know, part of starting a company and growing it to where we did with Betaworks was incredibly intense. Like mm-hmm. I like to think of it as like, that was the first company I started and the last company I started. I'll never do it again. And it's really, you know, but it's intense in a different way and you can, and there's a lot of really, you know, benefits and gratification that come from that, right? Like you control your own destiny, you know, you determine your company's path and hopefully it's success. And as an investor, you know, you are building a portfolio and thus you have a portfolio approach. You get to participate in many people's success as a supporting player at best uh, and not a primary player. And so I think that like, honestly, it probably like fits better with my personality. You know, I don't need to, uh, I, you know, I learned that I don't need to be upfront. I'm happy to be in, uh, you know, behind the, you know, in the background. Uh, and supporting people in the background. And I think that probably my mode of learning is one where, you know, that wide, the horizontal breadth of companies you visit, you know, you, you work with as an investor, really, you know, I, I think I learn a lot from that and I'm able to kind of, you know, throw those learnings back or share those learnings with the specific companies. And that feels like, that feels maybe natural to me, maybe more natural than like managing a hundred people in a company, though that has moments too. 
and that's that's probably also why you're such a a good investor of VC because you know you you know where you fit and you're open about it and you respect what the entrepreneurs do and how hard it is and um, well, I like to think of it like if you know if if we were if we were good you know if, if as VCs if we were good at running companies we'd run companies. We're not good at it, so we don't. You know, and so, and but we're good at other things. You know, we're good at seeing patterns on a strategic level. We're good at thinking about corporate governance. We're good at, you know, how raising money and thinking about ways to raise money. We're good at seeing patterns, you know, that may work on product or design, you know, and and things like that. We're diversified um, by definition, which means we have a different type of risk profile, but we get the benefits of the intelligence from that diversification and can participate in that. But we're a services business, you know, our company. They're not really, I mean, they're kind of like our clients more than they are anything else. You know, it's a different type of client, you know, service provider relationship. But our role is to provide service to them. Our role is not to be a, in front of them, I don't think. Maybe that's a, maybe, maybe I'm, is a very old fashioned view of venture, but it's a view of it that I like and that I like to participate in. Like our, jo- our job is to help companies, you know, become what they want and entrepreneurs become what they want to be to their, you know, best of their abilities and, and reap the rewards from it, but to be in the, you know, to be supporting at best. Mm. You know, when the company succeed, it's not about us. And when they fail, it's not about us either. Mm. Well, that's, a so. good, that's a good philosophy. And, and you know, what, what type of services uh, do you see yourself providing to your portfolio companies? Well, so different firms do it different ways. And, uh, and so there's not one way to do it. The way, the way we do it is, is we are a firm that invests against the thesis. So at some level, the 50 or 60 companies in our portfolio are connected because they have some connection to that thesis. And therefore, we, we see lots of examples of ways to operate network-based companies in different disciplines at different stages and can apply those learnings and the experiences to to the early stage ventures we invest in in a way that hopefully benefits them. And so from it's the experience of a broad, very big portfolio that is diversified, but also at the same time is concentrated in its thesis in their subject matters. And that's and so when you take money from us, that's one of the things we, we attempt to promise you that you'll get, you know, is that is to be connected to that larger network and the set of experiences from the network that we can help guide you know guide the companies with on top of the money the money matters too so those are the those are the services you know they're not they're not specific services though we have you know at the 50 or 60 companies that have many thousands of employees and we've built software tools and we use off-the-shelf software tools to connect people amongst those various companies when they have questions that someone in a company can answer them pretty specifically or pretty quickly gotcha so let's talk about your thesis some more and around investing around networks and uh if you want, you probably could expand that a little bit. But I'm just so everyone knows. Um, I mean, everyone should know it because you guys are very public about it and vocal, which is awesome. And uh, but uh, you know what? I I've always been curious. I, you know, I love your thesis, but networks are hard to get going. But it seems like you guys do a pretty good job picking, um, and you guys invest fairly early. So yeah. how, how do you know that <laughs> the network's going to work? Because you need both sides. And, <laughs> yeah. uh yeah, you know, so it's, it seems like a high risk, but and high reward. But it seems like your uh, hit rate is pretty good. Well, I think you. So the you don't know if they're going to work. Period. Okay. Stop. <laughs> End of story. You hope they're going to, but we invest early, so we don't have the and and so we don't have we don't have the luxury of 
having much indication that they're going to work, although we look for data that suggests directionally there is some indication that they're going to work, but we don't because there are a bunch of different variables that go into play uh, determining whether something is going to be successful. We do try and apply our previous experiences in the positive and the negative to to look at a network and decide whether we think that network has attributes where we would be we would be a good investor um, and then apply them to kind of different fields. And the reason we're vocal about our thesis is because we get feedback on it from people and from companies that helps us refine it and think about it at a more granular level and think about investment opportunities. We don't simply publish it just to listen to ourselves talk. We publish it to, uh, to, you know, to, to open up a set of questions that we're getting feedback from the market from that help us think better. But we don't really know if any of these are going to work as early stage investors. We don't have that luxury. So we attempt to build for each one the diversified portfolio, um, of, of networks or network-related businesses in a bunch of different fields, um, and hopefully, you know, the averages work out for that portfolio. But there is a lot of breakage in early-stage investing, and so that's why we can't really know. And sometimes, like when you look at it in hindsight, in, in something that worked out, there again, there's like a lot of randomness, you know, and you know, for their success. And sometimes there are like real specific ways they executed, and we and we try and apply those back to the company. So I think about it like. When when my partner Fred and Brad started the firm, they they were they were I think one of the first venture firms that were blogging or publishing a lot, and in fact the website for many years was a blog basically, and they did that to have a conversation with the market around these set of questions. So I think the conversational nature has is is kind of is in now in the genetic structure of the firm, and that's how we think about investments and how we think about making decisions, you know, and those conversations lead us to companies that we, you know, that we think they're all going to work, but at least, you know, that we understand the dynamics and, and can come up with a good, you know, opinion for why they're going to work, but we just don't know, you know, I mean, you've started a bunch of companies when the companies, when the companies they've, you have started, when they, when they've worked, have you found that they've worked for the reasons you thought they were going to work or for wholly different reasons? Oh, you did ask me a question. That's good. And that's good. Yeah. I think that, yeah, I think this is this is the first question I've ever had in Flyer Labs. History. Right. So, <laughs> right. No, it's yeah, it's yeah. Things never work out exactly how you envision. That's for sure. And sometimes, yeah, it, sometimes it goes well. Sometimes it doesn't go well. Sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> but that's the but that's like, and so but that's I think like that's why that it, it, an entrepreneur likes that, and that's why they build things. And venture investors like to put money in those things because those are the dynamics that we want because every now and then when you do it, something really, you know, a real large, valuable, important company comes out of it, but not always. And like you said, oftentimes it's for totally different reasons than you thought it was going to work. <laughs> so Exactly. And, but so yeah, you guys have been investing for a long time. I mean, what, uh, what do you guys have in place in order to kind of at least try to learn? You must know, you must have a better, if, if I was going to invest in, let's say a, a company that, you know, had a kind of a network effect, I'm guessing you guys would probably have a little better eye on it than I would, or a lot better. And uh, well, we've more experience. More experience. More experience maybe. Yeah. And, right. And and is that experience more intangible, or are there um, more of a gut feel, or are there certain things that you've learned over time? That, yeah, uh, this is that's a really good question. I think there is. I do believe at most venture decisions have an element of gut to them, right? An element of, I can't really explain it, but I feel like this is the right approach. And so, but I also at the same time think that most venture decisions also come with thought process and ideas 
and pattern recognition of the way things worked in the past or the way things didn't work or the way things may be different. And then the, and then the right decisions come at the intersection of that, you know, that gut, you know, that gut feel plus reason and process. And so I think like good functioning venture investment is a combination of, of hunches plus reasoned analysis and process to come to decisions. And so, and by process means things like what's your fund size, what's your, what's your focus, what's your structure, how is the partnership structured, how are the meetings to come to decisions, investment decisions structured, you know, like what's the, what's the architecture of the table you sit around, you know, and all these things are components to that, you know, and so for example, just to make that a little concrete, we have relatively small funds and we're early stage investors so that constrains the type of investments we can make. That constraint we think is good because we've done the math and we think over time that will allow us to consistently get our investors the return. Um, but it also constrains the set of type of things that we can look at because we have small funds. Um, the second attribute is we are consensus driven, so we don't really vote up or down and then see who wins. It's can you convince seven or eight or nine people through conversation that this is something we want to spend time with and and, and participate in. That's not the best way to do it. It's the way that we've decided to do it, and it works for us. There are many other ways to do it, but it does mean that an individual here probably has less singular ability to do an investment, but an individual probably has less singular ability to prevent investment being made. But it's it's consensus, and consensus is hard to get. But that process leads us, we think, to really unpack an investment opportunity and why we might be a good firm for it, and why we might be good people for it, and why we want to spend our time on money, and why they might like us as well. So that's like so that's like so you take your gut and you throw it into this process. You know, and the process is a lot is a lot of objective reasoning and quantitative data and pattern recognition. And sometimes, and like eight times a year, those two things combine, and you make your and you make investments. That's the way. Uh, that's the way we do it. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, which is it works for us. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, what I hear is that there's a lot of constraints, and which is funny. People are like, oh, I don't want to be constrained, but you know, like constraints often lead to create more creativity, more innovation. Yes, and uh, totally. So totally constraints aren't only limiting they can be expansive as oh, that's well. good that's good you yeah should, you should put that yeah out there yeah <laughs> it's 140 <laughs> characters right but i don't know but think about like the constraints of twitter is the classic example that's yeah. a really interesting example when you had to put something in 140 characters you get really correct intense constraint you get really creative about how you describe something how you explain something how you demonstrate something and so I think those. I think the constraints are. Re I think the constraints are really important to our process. Really important to our process. Um, and so they're not the most important, but they're one of the three or four important pieces of the pro of the process. So there's like the gut plus process. And and so part of that process is, uh, and you know, is evaluating the t the team at the startup. And uh, you guys have met some uh, impressive startups and their teams. And but and so how. Yeah, I know it's a lot of gut, but is there is is there any intangibles with that? Like, do, does the team walk in and they start talking, and you can just be like, "These guys are gonna make it happen." And if they don't, they'll they'll throw themselves off a cliff in a, or in a healthy way. I'm mean, not, right, right, not gonna go crazy, right. but you know, like they're gonna really go for it. These guys, like, is that a, a big a big part of it or not? Or a, yeah, how do you evaluate the team? 
so this is really good. Uh, this is a really good, you know, you're, these are really insightful kind of ways to think about it. I think that, you know, there are a couple different components. Like one is, as early stage investors, we know that the relationship with the company is going to be over a long period of time, four, five, six, seven, eight, or nine years. And so part of this is like, are, do we think these people want to spend eight or nine years with us? And do we want to spend eight or nine years with them? And that's not, <laughs> you know, you know, you know, are they the kind of people that we can learn from and can learn from us? You know, will they listen to us? Will we listen to them? You know, and, and do they remind us of other characteristics of it, of entrepreneurs we back that worked, or do they remind us of characteristics of entrepreneurs we back that don't work? You know, so it's like a series. It's a series of other questions. Do they have a set of experiences that led them to want to create a company that solves the problem they're solving? Like, what's the driver of that? You know, and so these are a lot of these are qualitative versus quantitative. You know, and so but again, it's applying like characteristics around a person relative to all the people we've seen relative to places we think we can be good investors for them or that people and also why is what is their what about their background or their story do we think would lead to a a better than you know than not chance that they'll succeed at what they're doing how did they come to this you know and i think and and wrapped around a lot of that is like this continual question of will be will could we be good for this group Mm. of people you know would we be good for them and is it a good fit will they will they like working with us and will we like working with them and by the way sometimes you never know with certainty and sometimes you're wrong sometimes they're wrong i bet their companies are like oh wasn't a good fit after all and you and you learn to live with each other and deal with it but but you try to make your best best guess you know about it but i don't know but it's more that than like we're looking for people that will like using your example jump off the cliff you know it's <laughs> not that that's too fine a point on it i find that it's a little more abstract and and i was just curious how because i can't imagine a team rejecting like how often does a team pitch you guys? You're like, okay, we want to invest, and then they say no. Does that ever happen, to you guys? I can't imagine. Yeah, doing totally. That. Oh, really? No, it does because yeah, but it does because you know we're not we're a small fund, and so we can write a small check, and they want to raise more, or we think oh, the value yeah. of the company we think the value of the company is different than what they think, and maybe they're right. You know, it's not to say we're right, but you know we have a set of parameters too you know, and constraints and, and those don't always fit with the type of thing that a company wants to go to, you know? And so I think that happens. That's healthy. I think it's like, good, good for us. We learn from that as well. Yeah, exactly. You know, we, we sit there, we learn from that and say, Oh, <laughs> we wish we engaged earlier or I was wish I was more aggressive, you know, in following up. And so we try, I at least try and learn from those type of things. But yeah, that happens. That Definitely. happens. Yeah, re- re- yeah. rejection is always a good teacher. <laughs> yeah, totally. Exactly. How else are you going to learn? I right, totally. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, all right. So let's see. Let's talk about uh, some of your current investments. And I know we're getting near the end. Of, so, but uh, okay. yeah, I mean, especially, uh, well, I'm curious about a number of them. Actually, I've interviewed a couple, some people from your uh, people like. Yeah, uh, it looks like you did. Yeah. And uh, so you got some good, uh, good companies. But uh, I'm curious about one of your current most recent ones is Numeri, and yeah. uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? It's very interesting. Well, Numeri is a uh, is a hedge fund, and so it's an investment. It's an investment entity, I guess. Um, and it, they um, they they take they create a model from the predictions that a community of data scientists, their community of data scientists, for models and price predictions that community has made. So 
So you can think of it like a, it's, a, it's a, a, a social network, it's a community of data scientists that are building investment models, and Numeri creates a meta model from those investment models and trades from that. The idea being that the ideas of many, well, many thousands of data scientists will always be greater than an idea that a singular person could come up with. Uh, and those data scientists, some of them are quantitative finance specialists, some of them are biologists, some of them are mathematicians. You don't have to actually have any kind of background in finance per se. You just have to know the math and build, be able to build data models and machine learning models. And so Numeri, uh, Numeri assumes that, you know, that the power of the crowd can be applied in a pretty spectacular fashion to finance if you, if you reduce finance to a math problem. Um, and you do all the right things you're supposed to do in building a community and massaging and managing a community. So it's like a community-based business whose business model, though, is a hedge fund bolted onto the side of it. And how are they been doing? How are their returns and how much? How big is their fund? So those are, uh, you know, so this is a heavily regulated industry, and so I don't know if they disclose yeah, fair the returns or the yeah, size of the fund. Right. <laughs> they do. They are public. There are right now. I think it's seven or eight thousand data scientists wow. who've made thirty over thirty-five billion price predictions. They publish that information, so huh. that's a big, that's a big number of price price predictions, and uh, and so and that the fund then kind of creates the combined model out of all those and then trades off. It doesn't really have to, it doesn't really have discretion in its trading. It's whatever the models say. Yeah, and when I saw you guys invest in that, I'm like, oh, that is so brilliant because. It's uh, I mean, it's great for the hedge fund, but man, I I've always thought about if we could start unlocking data, you know, across yeah. insurance companies, healthcare, like exactly, and then let totally. these out, let people go to work on it, and this, this is like a perfect model for that. And I, when I saw that, I'm like, I know what the, I know what you guys are you guys are thinking, <laughs> right? A hundred percent. No, but a hundred percent, right? Because we're not. We have no ability to kind of like I don't know how to evaluate it. I mean, we know how you can quantitatively evaluate a hedge fund. We're not. We don't know about. We have no <laughs> idea how the hedge fund business operates. But we know community. You know, we know software-based community businesses. And I think Richard, the founder, that's what was attractive to him about us. You know, and there are other investors that could fill in those other gaps. But we know about. We we have experience in building and managing communities. This just happens to be one of data scientists, and so uh, and so we really you know that was very really attractive to us. We thought we could be good good investors and so it's early it's early so we'll you know tbd how that well that works out we are very positive about it but it's still early days because because how does it work you know there's all these data scientists on there and do before their algorithm is uh, implemented do they do a little quick back testing is this all like, automated yeah or, okay the company does back testing there's a little yeah. there's a couple other intricacies or or peculiarities to it one is you it's anonymous and so you as all you need is an email address to to. You don't have to disclose who you are, oh, wow. nor do they want you to disclose. Awesome. Yeah. They do not. They don't want you to disclose who you are. They want this to be anonymous. You can come from anywhere, and they believe anonymity frees up the creativity of anyone. You don't have to say how old you are, where you work. You know, you just have to build a model. Anyone can build a model. The second thing is that the data sets are encrypted, so that no one actually knows the underlying. Let's say, let's say right now that it's trading global equities. No one knows the underlying. Equity data, the data set is just a series of numbers, and there's a, there are forms of homomorphic encryption that allow the company to do this. And so, as, so you don't, so the company, no one knows what you, you don't even know what you're, you know the parameters of your model, but you don't know the underlying equity, so there's nothing that you can do with the model. There's nothing anyone can do with the model. Um, you own, you own the IP to it, huh. if you will. 
Um, but it's just a series of numbers. It's a math problem. And people are coming up with models around math, you know, around a series of numbers to find correlations. And so it's the it's attempt to reduce through anonymity on the social engineering side and encryption on the data side, you know, a finance problem to a very discrete set of math problems. And there are many, many people in the world who can solve or attempt to solve math problems. And we will, we will build a collection, a meta model around all those models. So, and then, there, and then Bitcoin is the way to, to compensate someone anonymously for this behavior, so to speak. So, so a bunch of different peculiarities that, um, that Richard, who's the founder, built this, believes aligns all the incentives properly to finally allow this, to, this type of mm. model to work. Yeah, that's pretty brilliant. Yeah. So he calls it a trustless situation. There's no, you don't have to trust Numeri. There's no trust involved. Mm. It's trustless. And, uh, and when trust is involved, then um, decisions get distorted. That's the concept. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've always thought that, uh, you know, because I was at a medical device startup before and actually worked with a wearable company now, I'm like, Right. I need somebody needs to build a platform where all my medical data can just like be out there. And like, yeah, I want, yes. I want everyone to be like working on it to make sure, make I want all their the smart algorithms out there, um, yeah. on it to make sure I'm staying healthy and yeah. So this yeah. is a good start. Uh, like, yeah, it's a, and maybe it can be applied in other areas. We've thought about that. It's early days. So who the heck knows? Yeah, <laughs> you know? and, yeah. And uh, you know what other type of. Uh, networks are you interested in like all right what what are you waking up and thinking about I'm like oh like this is really interesting to me like this this area or uh, i mean maybe because traditionally you've done a lot of internet-based uh, yeah networks like do you see yeah. I mean, everything's kind of connected to the internet but um do you yeah. see any uh areas that are kind of outside your wheelhouse that you're interested in right well i would say so i would say that um that historically the firm's, you know, deepest experience was in broad-based consumer networks. And that was like the, you know, the first five years of the firm was probably focused on that. And then the second five years, we unpacked that a little bit into vertical networks in certain fields, financial technology, we have a pretty deep portfolio in that, education, we have a pretty deep portfolio in that. And then I think the, the one that we've been maybe the most active in or thinking about the most outside of Bitcoin or blockchain has been in health and health technology and investing in networks uh, or new business, native business models or native networks around health technology. And so those are kind of the verticals. And I would say like, for me, I'm, I'm finding some of the new models and new technologies around in the healthcare or a practice of medicine world to be the most interesting and stimulating. In fact, I think the, I think the technology ha is so advanced that it's actually gotten ahead of actual real mark in market services right now. And it's usually the opposite. So the technology has gotten really advanced. And so those are, but those are three vertical areas um, that we focus on particularly. And then horizontally, it's something that we call enabling technologies, which are companies that provide kind of generic services that the vertical networks might want to utilize. Twilio is an example of one. Stripe is an example of another. SIF Science is an example of another um, as well. So those are the horizontal. So vertical market specific networks, fintech, education, um, medicine, science, you know, and then horizontal enabling technologies. Um, and then on top of that, the whole Bitcoin blockchain world is really interesting for a bunch of reasons. And then internet access is another area we've been poking around in. Hmm, interesting. 
yeah, you get to learn about so many cool things, and that, and the, yeah, and the, yeah, yeah, and how they come together. You know, like different. Uh, yeah, I think that's the the idea for us is can they come together in the form of a portfolio over the life of a fund, which is twenty to twenty four companies. And so we look at those. You know, we look at each of investment we make on the merits, but then we look at that set of twenty to twenty four associated with the firm to see whether we think it's you know we think it's you know appropriately diversified. So we don't want it to ever be you know, too many fintech companies, for example, or we don't want it to be too many of another type. So we think about diversification as hmm. well. Yeah, that's part of, that's the craft of, that's a little bit of the craft of the, uh, of the venture. Yeah, a little, little portfolio theory, but in a little different way. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. <laughs> so, yep. Um, all right. Yep. Well, I think I could talk to you for probably for about seven hours. Yeah, but, it's fun. Yeah. But, uh, I, I know we're, I don't know if everyone else will want to hear all that because my no. impressions might get pretty boring. Um, at least, today. but we learned that. But we did learn something interesting, which is in your, in all your entrepreneurial, you know, company starting experiences, what worked or didn't work was rarely what you thought was going to work <laughs> or didn't work. And I think I, there's some wisdom. There's real wisdom in there. Yes. Yeah. And this, like you said, the serendipity, and just uh, yeah, taking things as they come. I mean, you got to keep pushing ahead, right? But yeah, exactly, to... exactly. It doesn't mean things are totally random. It doesn't <laughs> no. mean I think there's a, I think there, it means there's a healthy, there's probably a, a greater amount of randomness than we think. But again, I think randomness exists within order, right? In other words, I think, you know, like people who are lucky, they, they work really hard at being lucky. Exactly. You know? and so, right? There's a lot of skill that goes into being lucky. And so, so the randomness, it doesn't mean you don't have control over it, I think. It's just a different way of, of thinking about it. And, and do you think people who, are lucky. I think sometimes they, they're, they're people who uh, other people want to be around. I think a little bit, and they want to give ideas to, and uh, but people just call them lucky uh, often. At least, yeah. At least that's what uh, yeah. my experience. Is yeah, about. exactly. But I like I said, it takes a lot of skill to be lucky. Yeah, it does. And and so uh, so one more question before we go. I, I'm just curious. You know, how do you deal kind of with the the ups and downs? Like how how because I imagine venture investing can be stressful at times. I'm sure it's awesome other times, yeah. but like, how do you yeah. get away or how do you relax or how do you, uh, just, uh, go off the flow? I mean, you actually seem like a pretty, uh, a, a chill guy in a good way. <laughs> but, that is the highest compliment yeah. <laughs> you could give. Uh, you know, here's, here's the thing though. Uh, having, having started the company, the highs that you get moment at moments and started the company and the lows are much greater at each extreme than the highs you get from being a venture investor mm. and the lows. And so, which maybe means that being a venture investor really is not for everyone because if you get off on those highs, if you need the adrenaline rush of the highs and the lows, I don't think you're going to get it from being a venture mm. investor. It's very even. On the other hand, it's very even. And you get to watch other people's highs and lows, but you don't feel them in the same way. You don't feel the existential threat. You don't feel like you just freaking killed it today. You know, this is amazing. We figured out the secret to whatever it is, you know? And so it's very, so I think managing, you know, managing emotions as a venture investor is, I don't think it's that hard actually. Hmm. Um, but you don't get the rush. If you need that rush, you've got to find that rush elsewhere. Cause I don't think you get it from being an investor in a company, you know? And in fact, I don't think entrepreneurs want you to get the rush. That's not what they're, looking for they need they need you to be even Steady. you know yeah. they that's because they need someone to you know in those moments i know i needed we raised money and i know that's what i use our investors for moments where i was like freaking out or 
moments where I thought we figured out the secret to the universe. And I had to share that with someone <laughs> who, who wasn't experiencing it because I needed to get that feedback loop from them. So it's a different, like the personalities are different. How you, so I don't, I think like the emotional, I think it's very easy emotionally being an investor. I really do. Um, but I think, but I think you don't get the, you know, you don't get the rushes and, you know, from the companies that they get. Gotcha. Yeah. And it doesn't hurt that you've done okay. You've had, you've picked some uh, decent companies as well. Does, that doesn't yeah, hurt. Yeah, it's worked. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's cool. It's worked. Yeah. But you know what? Also, you're also like, you know, for my partner, Fred, like, has, and my partner, Fred, Brad, Albert, John, always have like amazing lessons. The best lessons I've always gotten have been from them. And one of the lessons Fred said that, like, yeah, but you're kind of only as good as your last one. You know, it's a weird business. You mm. know, like the wins are great, but then the, you know, then that last investment you made is the one you feel the most, you know, that last series of investments. And so, so maybe the rush is that kind of reinvention, but also it's kind of tough because you're kind of like, am I still good at this? You know, <laughs> you know, does it really matter that company five years ago worked? What about this year? Am I still good at it? Can I still continue to be good at it? And so I always thought that was kind of, you know, that was, that was useful in the way I think about it. Gotcha. All right. Well, I think that's a, yeah. a pretty good way to end this podcast. And, uh, unfortunately, awesome. but, uh, Andy really appreciate your time and thoughts and your good yeah. energy. I love it. So, uh, yeah, of course. Good luck with your stuff and I hope we can chat again sometime soon. That uh, sounds good. And good luck with, uh, your investing and your companies and, uh, yeah. And, uh, you too. And thanks everyone for listening to another episode of flyover labs. As always, I greatly appreciate it. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Andy. Thank you. Bye.